the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. All right, let's get it going right here, right now. This is New Generation Declassified, and you're listening to an all-new New Generation Declassified here exclusively on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and every single week we go back in time and look at the new generation years of the WWF. Uh, I have to say I was not going to do a uh, pre-recorded intro like I'm doing right now. I was going to come hot out of the uh, interview and go right into the discussion. And uh, unfortunately, during the discussion was when all the Scott Hall drama was going on. So uh, I wanted to just give you a little bit of a preamble because we discussed Scott Hall as still being alive when this was recorded earlier in the week. It actually was in the time they had taken him off of life support and he was still fighting for his life. And honestly, as it ended, we had heard the news. So it was just by chance, I was recording this in the middle of the day between uh, the life support and his death. And uh, it's just a tragic loss for the wrestling world. Probably the biggest loss to professional wrestling in many, many years. I think in terms of the impact that was made on the business, I would think the last name that had the impact passing away was Bruno San Martino. Uh, but that is not to say that any death or any kind of loss is greater than the others. It's just in terms of the impact. And on these new generation declassified airwaves, we've talked about Razor Ramon. We've talked about Scott Hall so fondly since this show started. And we will continue to do that, especially in this episode as we look back at the curtain call. And my guest, Manny Motati, who was the guy who was uh, recording it as it was going on. Um, and we hear all about that. It's a great episode. It's a fun talk. And you know what? It was the perfect tribute to the bad guy. And uh, you can hear a million wrestling podcasters say the same thing over and over about Scott Hall. I could just tell you my two times working with him on uh, autograph signings in 2018 and 2019, he was the best. And really, you know, it's, it's so sad that he went out in the way he did. But you know what? He always goes out a fighter. And he will forever be the bad guy. So rest in peace to Scott Hall. And uh, you hear that music playing under me. We got the Razor Ramon music going. And we're getting right into it today with Manny Motati talking about the click curtain call at Madison Square Garden from May 19th, 1996. So enjoy the episode. And we will catch you on the flip side of this little sound effect. Madison Square Garden was always the mecca of this business. And we could see, we all could see the business changing. The fans knew what we were. It's like we were still trying to tell them there was no backside to the business and there was nothing going on. But they all knew. Kevin, Scott, Kid, me, Sean were, were the biggest fans. We always looked at it and thought, like, well, if we dig this so much, aren't they going to dig it that much? If you go back and watch that video, there's not a person sitting down when we all walk out there. Madison Square Garden went crazy. To get that kind of reaction out of them was like, well, this, this, can this be that wrong? You know? But it was, a, it was a spit in the face of tradition, in a way. That's how everybody else took it. You want to know the moment that, that the Attitude Era started? To me, it wasn't Austin 316, the, the, the saying, or us saying, suck it, and all that stuff. It was that night. 
the curtain call. That was the attitude. That was the beginning of the attitude, the real attitude. To me, all of it started at Madison Square Garden. All right, let's get back in here on New Generation Declassified, of course. Heard every single week on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. The timing of this episode is absolutely off the charts, uh, but I have the pleasure and the honor to welcome on a guy who contributed to a very historical moment. And I'm gonna, I'm, I'm not putting that lightly when I say that. We are welcoming in Manny Motati, the uh, cinematographer behind the infamous curtain call click incident at Madison Square Garden, May nineteenth. 1996. Manny, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Under the circumstances of what's going on today, but I, I'm happy to be here. It almost takes on another life. I mean, it, it is absolutely unfathomable to see what's been going on um, with Scott Hall and his health. Uh, right now, from where we're recording this, he's been taking off life support, but is still kicking. He's still alive. Um but this has been a roller coaster of the last couple of days. Obviously, Scott Hall, as Razor Ramon in the New Generation era, uh, was a ba- was the bad guy, but he was the cool guy. And we'll talk about it. But Scott Hall got the business from you guys <laughs> that night in that video. <laughs> we're gonna, oh, yeah, <laughs> we're gonna talk about that. But let's talk about you as a fan before we talk about th- that night at the Garden. Let's talk about growing up in the New York City area. I'm from New Jersey. These Madison Square Garden shows were the place to be every month that they would come back. Then they started to come back every other month. But still, Madison Square Garden, WWF, take us back. What made you a fan growing up? Uh, first thing was obviously uh, watching in like 87 era. Uh, I started going to shows in 88, Madison Square Garden. Then uh, later on, NASA Coliseum. Then the Meadowlands. Um Basically, it was my life. I mean, that's all I knew about when I was growing up. It's I, I came into this country in 85, and then all I knew was, was wrestling. I barely knew any English, and I thought WWF was called Hulk Hogan because I would see Hulk Hogan on TV, <laughs> and that's what I would call it. I'd be like, oh, Hulk Hogan's on. Cool. That's how it all started, and it's been a big part of my life. And, you know, as wrestling fans – this runs in our blood and you can never get rid of it. Some people just watch it here and there, but you know, for 30, some 35 years, you know, it's part of my life every day. I, there's not a day that goes by that something wrestling related isn't happening in my life or I'm not thinking about it or talking to somebody about it because it, it becomes a part of you, you know, as a fan. Yeah, absolutely. And in that New York area, we lived it because the WWF was our home promotion. So they were everywhere. They were on local TV. They were in the newspapers. They were everywhere. You know, you you knew somebody that knew someone who lived uh, by a wrestler. You'd hear those stories, you know, kind of through the grapevine. Um, but it was something about New York. It wasn't about the garden. You know, my I would say my home arena was the Meadowlands. I did go there probably just as much as the garden, but since it was on the Jersey side, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit more. Um, but what was it about the WWF, especially coming into the country in 85? What was it about it that drew you so much to that television? Was it the larger than life superstars? Was it, you know, how these guys are portrayed? It was just a little bit of everything. Those characters, I mean, those characters were were real you know those personas the heels are are straight heels 100 percent heels the baby faces were 100 percent baby faces 
compared to days now where you don't know who's in between, who's this, I'm, I'm this, I'm that. You know, it's hard to tell. Back then, it was pretty straightforward, and they had larger-than-life characters, you know, associated with them. And uh, every everybody from the top to the bottom of the card from the late 80s to the early 90s, they all had them. They all had that character. They all they all had mic skills. They all knew how to wrestle, whether they were on the bottom of the card or the top of the card. We all remember these guys from back then, e- even if they weren't a name back then, but they they are now because of everything they've contributed. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the comparisons that I give people these days is like, you know, everybody that's on TV, they expect to be in a main event or be a world champion or be a top guy. When back in the day, we were fine with Hercules being just like a mid-card babyface who would beat the guys on Superstars and may slip on a banana peel and lose to a heel on a garden show. You know, we were okay with that because he was Hercules. He was this giant mammoth guy. And I think, we again, we got kind of spoiled by the fact that the guys who came up in our generation were just a different breed of cat. Oh, absolutely. I agree. I mean, every character meant something back then, whether they were on the bottom or on the top. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, going to Madison Square Garden, you're going to see a lot of guys on the top. Um, when did you start going to the shows on a regular basis? Uh, 88, 89, uh, Garden. Okay. And, uh, and Meadowlands. Where and then, where did uh, you live? Uh, Queens, New York. Okay, so that yeah, hop, skip, and a jump to everywhere you wanted to go. Everywhere is close, you know. And then uh, early '90s, we used to go, and then towards the late '90s, and then when the WWE contacted me, I started going everywhere from 2015 to 2018, all over the the country. I mean, all over yeah, all over the country for Raws, pay per views, and. So it's been a wild ride. <laughs> we'll get to that part. Absolutely. Uh, the new generation, you know, I usually say it starts around Monday Night Raw launching in 1993, ending about when they changed the sets from the RAW to the Titantron. Uh, a down period for a lot of people, a time when people really kind of tapped out and moved on to other things. But for those of us that were in it still, we do love it. We did kind of grow up in this meat part of the era. Where did you kind of fall in relation to the new generation versus that previous Hogan era? Uh, that's a that's a great question, actually, because um, that was this is going to be an odd one, but this that was pretty much my favorite time was the new ger- generation era. Oh wow! From okay. from those years, which you'll never get from anybody. It's always the golden era or attitude era or some fans now era, but that was pretty much my time. That's when I really really loved professional wrestling especially the wwf at the time was around that time it's where things started to change you know and if you watch especially the uh the the may 19th 96 show at madison square garden you see there was a lot of stuff changing the roster was changing you know the attitude so to speak was changing i just did a show about a month or so ago about the WWF putting out a, or excuse me, WWE putting out a DVD called uh, the, like the dawn of attitude. And it was all about 1996. And I think a lot of people forget there was such a movement to change what the perception was of Vince McMahon's world wrestling federation, this show being a huge part of it. When you went to this show in 1996, you bought your tickets did you know that was going to be the end for razor and diesel? Did you know that two guys that helped 
cement themselves as top stars in the company were on their way to WCW? That day I was heated because I knew they were going. And, uh, you know, as WWF loyal, you know, you love your product. You don't want to see these guys go to the other company. So I knew back in like late January that they were going, but nobody really reported it. No websites or anything like that. Just a one hotline reported it. And then that's where I found it to be true. And it turned out so months and months, I knew all these guys, they're going to be jobbed out here and there. You know, I knew Razor and Diesel going to be jobbed out until the time comes. When it did happen, you know, as a 16 year old kid, I'm like, oh, I don't want to believe this, but I know it's true. Nobody's going to mention it. And uh, so that's why during that night, you know, it was pretty hostile towards both of them. But as wrestling fans, that's how we were, you know. Listening to the footage, you know, and it is out there, you know, you, you can still find it, even though some people may, uh, you know, be <laughs> posting it in different ways. You can still find the footage. You literally are the like the typical fan of that era. We believed everything still at that point. We were into everything. And I can kind of piggyback on that. Now, I listened to the little piece that you did with WWE. And you said that you had heard it on Howard Finkel's hotline. I did not hear it there. I remember hearing it around, I would say, late February. I was at a show at the, at the Meadowlands, and the uh, advertised main event was Diesel, uh, Bret Hart, and The Undertaker in a triple threat match. And that didn't happen. There was no Diesel. Uh, Razor Moe was supposed to be on the show. He wasn't on it. And the whole card had to be reworked. And everybody was saying that day at the arena, they're going to WCW. And I was like, hmm, that's really weird. And then as it started to kind of unravel, you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> I really do think they're on their way out. And again, at that point, you can't even fathom it. No, not at all. I mean, it, it was just a crazy time in wrestling, seeing those two big names jump. You knew, you know, Hogan Savage jumped. And then now these guys, they were all betraying us. And uh, it was a crazy time to be a, a fan, you know. And, and, and think about it, going back to uh, – the new generation era, I did want to bring up something that I just thought about. Back then, it, you weren't really, oh, as a fan, you weren't really open to people in high school and stuff like that. You were considered a loser if you watched wrestling around that time. So it was tough to talk to people in school about it because they looked down on you like, oh, you, you, this stuff is fake. This stuff, you know, this, you're a loser. You're this. You're, you were considered that until years later, it was considered cool again, you know, right. to, to like it. Yeah, thank God for uh, that middle finger of Stone Cold Steve Austin that kind of <laughs> changed everybody's perception. Because, yeah, in mid-90s, it was not the cool thing to, to do to watch wrestling. Uh, but by the Attitude Era, everybody was watching it. You know, teachers, students, parents, everybody had their eye on it at some point. Um, but now, again, it's, it's weird because wrestling is this subculture, right? Wrestling's got its own world versus back then it, you either had to kind of suffer in silence and be your only friend watching it, or you had that core group of guys that you did go to shows with. And at this show, you have your buddy uh, with you who was he at every garden show you would go to, or was this kind of like a, a one-off? He would go to every show with me and he was the one responsible for, well, not sneaking in the camera, bringing the camera. That was his passion. My passion was to record everything that's on TV. So I covered one part part, having all those VHS tapes and he covered the bootlegs. So we were, we were, we were a great, great team together. So we did it all. We did it all together. 
So let's talk about that. So the bootlegging, obviously, you know, I got to give props for being able to hold the camera in that manner during that time period and being as steady as you can be and having a great view of the the ring. Was that a factor when you would uh, buy the tickets where it was in relation to the ring? Excellent question. We, we've actually mentioned this, which is a great, uh, great question. We would purposely buy section 300s in the garden pretty much not too close and right. not too far so we can at least zoom in but not to be f- too far away but at least we're far enough where we're not noticed by security anywhere so we <laughs> purposely picked that part <laughs> i love that i mean i gotta say just again because i love the house shows of this era you know going to a bunch of them i love it i love the sounds of it i love the crowd i love the music i love the production but you guys have such a great perch you know and and really any seat in the garden is a good seat with how the arena was made up at the time uh but yeah section 300 it makes a lot of sense uh how did you conceal it that would be the next question (laughs) great question uh never concealed it once really (laughs) yes absolutely back then is pre 9 11 and also remember we were 15 and 16 year old kids we did it about uh, 10 to 12 times nasa it's only nasa coliseum and madison sewer garden okay um anytime we would go by security the only thing we planned was did we have our backup tapes did we have our two batteries and our camera that's all we cared about we never said how are we going to get this in how are we going to sneak this in what are we going to do put this here put that no it was just like boom let's get our stuff let's go we would walk in the camera would be on our on our sides and if the security which they rarely did ask what's in the bag jason would use used to say oh it's just a camera and he'd open it up to show them and they would let them walk in because those security guards didn't care about 15, no. 16 year olds walking in with a camera. Why would these guys, these kids want to record a, a stupid house show? <laughs> you know, not, not say it was stupid, but you know, the results are the same every night. Why would these kids want to do that? Go ahead, go in. Most of the time they didn't even address it. It was just, it wasn't a small bag, but it wasn't huge either. <laughs> so <laughs> walked in every time, but Jason did get caught one time. And uh, he wasn't with me that time. So I always blame him for not being with me. That's why he got caught while he was recording the show at the garden. Oh, boy. <laughs> slap <laughs> slap on the wrist, escorted out of the building. What, what do you get for that? Uh, they they actually confiscated his, his, his tape and they kicked him out. So he left. The only time that me and him had any issues with security was when we were inside. We were recording. Uh, the security guard came up to us and I said, hey, you guys... You can't be recording. We're like, oh, we'll, we'll just leave. And it turns out we just left and walked like all the way around the arena, went to a different <laughs> section, and then started recording and finished the show. <laughs> that was the only incident I remember. <laughs> hey, you say two kids were recording a house show. I say you're preserving history. That's what you're doing. And that's uh, that's what I get whenever I see the video pop by. It's just it's so unbelievable that you could catch that moment in time. Again, not knowing it at the time. You didn't know going into it that you were going to catch this moment, but the show itself is stacked 
1996 standards. You have the, the MSG Return of the Ultimate Warrior. You have Yokozuna and Vader. You have uh, Steve Austin and Jake Roberts. And, and then at the end, of it, you have Triple H and Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels and Diesel. So the card itself is stacked. It's an absolutely monster show. But you didn't expect for this monumental and huge moment to happen while you were uh, while you're in the seats. No, not at all. I mean, the card was insane. I mean, that was the night that uh, the Ultimate Warrior returned to the Garden, where he faced Owen Hart. The shoulder tackle that broke his arm, Razor and Diesel's last night, but Ra- Razor fighting Hunter and uh, Jake Roberts fighting an up and coming Stone Cold Steve Austin, and you got a huge cage match at the main. And this legit sold out crowd, you know, from, you know, the garden that hasn't been done in, in a while back then. Business wasn't that great. Right. We're, we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you got to remember the tag team titles legitimately changed that night and didn't get reversed five minutes later or a minute later. Yeah, that's oh, my God. That's right. Yep. I'm looking at that right now, too. The Godwins defeat the body Donna's. Yeah, so we captured all that too. You could see the our excitement was there. I was yelling, Jason was yelling. We we thought that was our night. This is what we <laughs> captured. We captured this. We're good. We're good. go home, you know, in a way. But um, no, obviously we didn't know what was going to happen, and neither did WWE. Otherwise, their cameras wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't have turned off. Right. And it's amazing that they didn't come. I always thought about it. It's like, why didn't they? come back and start filming after they did cut off their cameras and because we are the only legit footage out there with this exception with three photographs that were taken that we've seen online here and there there was one dvd that showed they had footage of this show and it was when scott hall was leaving the ring and the fans were giving him the finger and flipping him off and he, you know, he was doing the pantomime of he was leaving he had small kids you know like but that's the only thing they've ever shown from this show that wasn't your video and it is remarkable because back in the day up until 1992 we got the garden show every month we watched it on msg it was a staple of growing up as a wwf fan and when they stopped doing it it was like well why (laughs) why did you stop i mean people loved it i mean those garden shows the philly shows the spectrums and we used to love watching those on, on on tv on the msg network or wherever those are fun, you know, and it's like, why'd they stop it, you know? Yeah, a very bad decision, cost-cutting, I'm sure. Uh, but, you know, they did do one in 97, and I was there for that, and it was a great experience, but you wanted more. It was really, uh, it was unfortunate when they cut the cameras uh, on the monthly basis. Uh, but this was also, this is another cool thing about this show. This is the last Madison Square Garden appearance of the Bushwhackers. Wow, I didn't even know that, but I do remember they were there. Wow. Yes. So think about that. So even though um, it's, you know, not the biggest match on the show, it's the opening match. The Bushwhackers defeat the, uh, the new rockers, Marty Jannetty and Leave Cassidy. It's the Bushwhackers last MSG match. And, you know, they were there from 88 on. So it was, you know, pretty long run for the Bushwhackers to now be out of the garden. Um, But just again, top to bottom, you know, stacked Ahmed Johnson, Davey Boy Smith, um, uh, Vader and Yokozuna, uh, you know, Savio Vega, Bob Backlund, staples of this era. And you guys are there in attendance. Now, during the Scott Hall match, like I said, Triple H and Razor Ramon, you are riding Scott Hall like nobody's business. And you guys may be some of the only people in attendance that knew what was going on. Did people around you kind of pick up on what you were saying? 
Uh, they did because it, it's it's weird to explain it to people that that match, I was actually responsible for the you sold out chant, and the reason why is because I even had a wrestling hotline back in the day. So people ask, oh, you're you're responsible for the current call and the you sold out chant. It's actually true because I was that passionate into the business, and that night I stirred that up. And for a while, it was it took about twenty seconds when I was just started chanting "You sold out, you sold out." Nobody in our section or anywhere would follow, and then it finally picked up, and then the whole garden went crazy with that. I'm like, <laughs> "Oh, this is awesome," because we were that passionate. Well, good for you. You started the You Sold Out chant that uh, gave us the classic Scott Hall pantomime that I saw in the WWE footage. <laughs> and there's a reason why we also missed that footage, because I didn't know that Jason stopped recording after the Razors and Hunters match. Yeah. And I, I was like, hey, did you get that? And he didn't get it. And I was so upset with him that he didn't get it because I thought, hey, we got the tag team tile shades. Cool. But the You Sold Out chat, that's the thing that we used to do for ECW when we used to yeah. go to shows and now we put it into WWE and that this is the big moment to do this to a, to a baby face at the garden. This is huge. You, you have to get this on camera and he didn't get it, but it was a good thing. He didn't get it because he was saving time on his tape and battery <laughs> for the current call. Yeah, only, you know, mere 25 minutes later, basically after that steel cage is put up, you know, when the match takes place with uh, Shawn Michaels and Diesel, and it is like, it's probably one of their better matches, you know? And this is one of those steel cage matches that wasn't like a phone-in on a house show. I mean, they legitimately, you know, had some pretty big uh, spots where, you know, they seemed like they were they were kind of, they were into it. You know, the, the one that I really think about is when Shawn Michaels is hanging off the cage and Diesel is literally pulling him from through the cage all the way back over. It's like, man, like you didn't see that on a house show, you know, when Hogan was fighting the big boss, man, you know what I mean? Like there was a different kind of intensity in this. And I wonder if uh, there was a reason behind that. I wonder if they, they thought let's, let's kind of pull out all the stops. I mean, I mean that, that was the match to do it. It's like, Hey, we never know when we're going to wrestle each other again, especially in this cage. Look who we're in front of. We're, we're in the garden. This is your last night. Let's make it happen. So, yeah, I mean, even on the top of the cage or the top rope, Diesel's with the you know the knees into the gut. I mean, you guys caught this so perfectly. Um, what did you do with the tapes afterwards? Did you go back and watch them the next day? Did you go to a certain spot? Hey, I want let's watch the title change, or did you go through the whole show? Um, honestly, we didn't even think about it when we when we recorded. It was just it felt like all right. It was a cool thing, but it was like another thing that we recorded. We went home. We never watched back the tape and everything. I've only viewed the original tape that I have three times. Right. Obviously, because when you view it on VCR, especially nowadays, you don't want to ruin it. You don't want no. to eat the tape. And if, you know, every time you play it, every time you record another version of it, you know, the quality degenerates. So I tried to preserve it to the original as best as possible. So I've only viewed the original three times. Okay, and so you do have the original. You, you did not lose possession of that. I have the original VHSC, which is smaller than a VHS. Yes, yes. And I have the original VHS that it was converted into at that time. So I have them both with Interesting. Me. Very interesting. Now, the curtain call itself, you know, and we'll talk about post-curtain call madness with you. But the curtain call itself, again, follows this great steel cage match. 
you know, again, your reactions are on that tape. If anybody's ever seen the clip, they can hear you are screaming like a man. <laughs> I sure am. And I just, I just sold that footage. Well, not the footage, but the audio for $500 to a company that you'll find out in a couple of months, just for me <laughs> screaming. I just sold the licensing for me screaming. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, take us back. What was your, like, in the moment, you know, we hear you, but what were you, were you jumping? Were you standing in your seat? Like, how were you reacting to the physical eye if you're standing in Madison Square Garden? Uh, usually, usually I, I'm a very quiet person. So out when you see that, that's, that's real emotion. Just like, because remember, wrestling was all I had at the time. I grew up dirt poor and all I had was wrestling. And when you see moments like that, like you're engaged, Everything I said and felt, that was that was all real. Even though, obviously, I knew the, the history of wrestling and what is wrestling's about, if it's real, scripted, whatever. When you're in that moment, when you're watching it, you forget about all that. That all that stuff doesn't mean anything. You're there, and all those emotions were real. That's yelling, that's screaming. You know, especially your, in the garden. What's your favorite part of the actual curtain call moment? Oh, it was the mind-blowing moment when Hunter came out. That's that's the one. That's what got you. I couldn't believe it because after a while, it, it, it was hard to process when he first came out. It's like, whoa, Hunter! Wow, you know, it's like, no, this can't be real. This can't be real. Back then, you it was not normal to do stuff like that, and that was the mind-blowing moment. I mean, that was it because you know back back then you knew there was a click but you didn't know these guys were friends with Hunter. So right. it was just boom out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, again, I completely agree with you. You knew there was a group of guys that there was the click, you know, you heard it referenced on all the, uh, you know, the boards at the time, the AOL boards and, you know, the prodigy boards and whatever other like early internet era chats you could possibly be. And you heard of the click. I didn't know that triple H was in it until much later. I mean, really until probably like, Mid ninety seven, did I know that there was such a uh, you know a, a four or five some of these guys that were such tight buds? But it's it's such a surreal moment. It's like the hug that everybody's seen is great. I love when they post on the four corners. That to me is one of the coolest things. And again, for Triple H, who was the just stuck up blue blood at the time, it was such a departure mm-hmm. from what we saw on TV. Yes, and it's like obviously you can tell they didn't even plan that part out where they would go to the post. It, it doesn't even seem like they planned that out. It was just like organic and it grew and just, you know, the crowd's eating it up. They're loving it. You know, Razor and Diesel, uh, they're leaving. Remember, Diesel was a heel, so he basically turns face there. Razor, he, he's a face, but he kind of turns heel and then back to face. And Hunter is now a face. And Shawn Michaels is obviously God right there. And they're all doing their thing and it's unbelievable. It's one of the best house shows I've attended and one of the best events I've ever been to. Yeah. Again, for it being in that down period, it's remarkable just how, uh, how awesome it was. Now, the first time we see it on television is in 1997. And it was kind of when DX was in its boiling stage of just starting to get really hot and very uh, over as bad guys. They did the whole mocking of, wait a second, you know, there's you and there's me and we're, you're a good guy and I'm a bad guy and there's our buddies. So that was 1997. Is that the first time that you had talks with WWE? No, it, uh, on October 
1997. It's the first time it aired, and they put that footage out there without our knowledge, and because uh, it was leaked to a dirt sheet writer, and so we were fuming. We didn't even know it was going to air. <laughs> wow. We were, yeah, yeah, it was crazy because like, hey, what's our grainy footage doing on the Titantron? And why is the quality so bad when our quality is the original? It yeah. must have been copied. It must have been copied over a couple of couple of times where the footage was so bad that they aired it. They even at that time, you know, obviously I could understand they didn't put our voices in, which obviously they wouldn't want to put that in the Titron. That's not what it was meant for. But two things I was upset about was why is my footage up there and for and also why is the quality so bad you know it's like at least have a better quality version of it it's like oh that was so that one hurt is that um our friend actually leaked out the tape so we never provided them with the tape in the in the beginning so that's how it ultimately got out there is you had a friend that's similar to you know those adult film tapes that get out there it's just somebody happens to get in their hands and they get out so you had a friend that got the tape and, and leaked it out on his own uh yes he knew uh someone who was friends with sean michaels so he gave the tape to someone who was friends with sean michaels uh and then sean got a hold of it and then that was that that's how it happened wow man again yeah i remember watching that uh that raw and it popping up and being like oh my god <laughs> there it is we've heard all about I, it <laughs> i mean i'll never forget that raw because Remember, we're, we're we're still mourning the death of Brian Pillman from a day before, and then yeah. boom, that that shows up the same night, and like, wow. Tell you, man, you preserve something in history for sure. But now, a couple years later, you know, about ten years or so down the road, you're embraced. Maybe even more, a little bit more than that. You're embraced now by WWE. You know, they did a little piece on you. They played a little rib on you guys. Uh, you, you got there's a segment on uh, WWE uh, YouTube you can find of you and uh, what's your buddy's name? Uh, Jason Cosmetis, the camera. Jason, so you and Jason, and then Triple H, Scott Hall, and Sean Waltman, conspicuous by his absence. But you guys had a little segment backstage. So WWE has turned on it and embraced it. Now, what was the first conversation like where they were like, okay, we'd like to get this footage from you, like officially? Uh, you know, you don't have to reveal any like, you know, strict details of confidentiality. But sure. when they finally decided to kind of like embrace it, I'm sure there's look, there's thousands of handhelds out there that you can go find. But this is different. When was the first time they approached you about doing something with it? Uh, it was at the end of uh, 2014 when they wanted to do a click DVD. And when I went into Connecticut to do my WWE interview for the first time, the crazy part thing of that is that they said, you know, we've been looking for you guys for a while. And it, it was odd that he said that because I was like, oh, we're already on Wikipedia and all other places. It would have been easy for us to find. And I was like, oh, okay, we're, well, we're here now. So that's all that matters, I guess. And uh, that was the first time they approached us about it because Jason made a comment on WWE regarding uh, they put a video out there about the current call about anniversary, and he commented, "Hey, me and my friend Manny were there. We we caught we uh, filmed it. He thought it was going to be deleted, but then they contacted him, and he said, oh, you got to get Manny on there too because Manny's a big part of it.' And that's how it took off from there. And then, so what was the first reaction 
that you got from somebody internally? Like, was it positive that you had it? Was it like, well, you shouldn't have done it, but you're just kind of lucky that it's this moment. Um, everything's been positive from that. I mean, from the office, from fans ever since then, but can you imagine if this actually happened like in the seventies or early eighties or even late sixties, not only would we be hated by the fans, we'd be hated by the promoters and we'd probably get death threats from the wrestlers and just all (laughs) around. We, we'd, we'd actually be hated. We'd have to be in hiding right now, but it's actually because the business was changing. Now we're like loved by everybody. I get messages all the time. It's all positive. 99% of the stuff that gets sent to me is, is all positive, which I appreciate. Have you ever had the chance to talk to Vince? No, I have not. But I've pretty much met everybody else and talked to everybody else. I have some uh, footage with me and uh, a video footage backstage of me and Scott Hall that I'm about to release probably tomorrow, which is very interesting very very good oh that's yeah that's phenomenal now how about uh triple h you know he gets uh sometimes a bad rap you know he's taken on a different role as an executive um i think people you know who have feelings towards triple h just maybe not like the character and you know i've heard things i worked at wwe for a brief time in the mid 2000s you know i heard things going on with triple h but he seems like he's embraced you guys a lot too he was really kind to you in that video that was surfaced and uh, playing with you guys a little bit, maybe that was just for the cameras. But how's your relationship been with him? Excellent. I mean, he's been he went above and beyond for us. Not only just in that video, even though the video is like 15 minutes long, which I own that whole footage, which I've never aired before. You, in the WWE, you see like a three minute yeah. edit of them arresting us, but I got the whole thing. But besides <laughs> be, besides that, he, he's been he's been great to us and. Same as with uh, Scott Hall. He's he's done a lot for me. That's fantastic. Well, that's absolutely wonderful. And again, why, you know, we're recording this, you know, in, in, an, in an uncertain time because we don't know what the final outcome is going to be. But, you know, Scott Hall being who he is, the guy changed the face of being cool in wrestling. I think single-handedly is the yes. coolest guy that ever stepped through the ropes. Uh, everything he says is quotable. Every match he had was was very good. You know, you can't say anything bad about his work ethic in the ring. Um, but as we kind of sit here and are in limbo about the news, you know, what are your thoughts about Razor Ramon, Scott Hall? You know, where did he kind of fall for you as a fan? And then obviously this moment you got to spend with him afterwards. Excellent question. Um, Jason just texted me and reminded me that if it wasn't for me wearing that yellow razor ramon shirt in high school in 94 he wouldn't have met me and none of this whole (laughs) yes none of this whole click stuff would have happened i said you know what that's true because i wasn't ashamed to wear a wrestler on my shirt going into high school i didn't care what the girls thought about me i didn't care if guys thought i was a loser but i got to meet jason and that's how much wwf meant to me how much razor ramon meant to me how much i wanted to meet other wrestling fans like me and uh what razor did for me in 2015 i'll never forget he actually uh it was his idea to have us arrested if if it wasn't for his idea of having us arrested to bring in that up to to hunter that whole segment would have just been us going to meet hunter and there would have been a little youtube video and that would have been it but scott hall made that happen 
always thinking, you know, he's always uh, got the mind for the camera and what would be good for consumable uh, content. And it's a great little clip. I remember watching it when it came out because you want to see, you know, who are these guys that recorded this thing? You know, like, well, what, what are they so special for? But you guys mm -hmm. caught a moment in time that will never be forgotten. And from a wrestling fan to a wrestling fan, it's one of the coolest things I think at that era we ever could have heard about. So I'll thank you on behalf of, uh, of wrestling fans. How about that? You like, is that a good one? Do I serve as a good uh, host for the uh, the wrestling fan out there? 100% out there. Yep, yep, absolutely. <laughs> I do appreciate that. Uh, before we get to the wrap-up, uh, where are you at with the uh, the current wrestling? Are you still watching actively? Uh, I'm trying to. I mean, it's it's not easy, but I'm trying to. Um, as far as what I'm doing now, I have some things coming up for this year with the big wrestling company that you'll probably hear about in a month from now. I can't disclose that, but it's something I'm looking forward to. The interview has been done, so that's something I'm looking forward to coming around uh, WrestleMania time. Yeah, look at uh, look at Manny Motati here being uh, all cryptic and uh, like making me want to now ask additional <laughs> questions later on. You know, like uh, this is pretty good. Uh, I again, I, I can't thank you enough for for spending the time to talk about it. Before we let you go, please uh, share with the listeners of New Generation Declassified where they can find you on social media and anything else you got going on. Uh, as far as uh, social media, I'm only on uh, uh, Facebook and Instagram. Instagram is WWE Curtain Call Kid. You know, I just made that up because I everybody has an Instagram. Like, you need to be out there on the internet. I was like, oh, let's just make this happen. I'm like, all right. So I just did that. So you can find me on there, and I'm always talking to fans on Facebook, and they they were contacting me all the time, which is nice. Always hear good things about them. It's wonderful, man. Again, you know, appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, we'll get to this wrap up. If you want to follow me, it's at Chad EMB on Twitter. On Instagram, it's at IB Exclusives. My website is IBExclusives.com. You can find everything going on in the world of IB Exclusives at uh, that website, IBExclusives.com. And this website is TMPTEmpire.com. All the podcasts under the TMPT umbrella. Until next time, this is your boy, the Chadster. We will catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.